As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. And I have the distinct pleasure today to be with Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Mike, the pleasure is all mine to be here with you today. So thanks so much for inviting me. So Kevin, as an influencer today, everyone, we're going to be talking heavily about candidate experience and why you should care what it means to you and your organization, and really the benchmarking, right? Research about what is good, is good enough? What is excellent? How do you go for the Candy Awards that Kevin leads? So Kevin, can you share with me a little bit about this organization, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to change in the world of talent? Let me give a little bit more context for everybody about the organization. So it was founded over 10 years ago now. And it was founded, and I was one of the, I was one of the founders, Jerry Crispin, Elaine Orler, and Ed Newman founded it. I was one of the early volunteers. It was very volunteer-driven back then. And the idea was we talked so much about a bad candidate experience. Why don't we start capturing some survey research and talk about the good stuff too, what companies are doing? And then, by gosh, let's give them awards if their ratings are high enough in that survey research to be able to tout them publicly and say, you know what, you're doing a good job raising the bar on what it's like to be an actual job candidate to go through that process. So that was the whole idea of it. It was very labor of love driven. And then fast forward to today, now every year we've been, we work with hundreds of employers, big and small across industries, helping them to understand how they're delivering recruiting and hiring. So from pre-application, Mike, all the way to onboarding, we don't go beyond that in the research. and Then the companies target a population of their own candidates. It's all anonymous and confidential for the the employers as well as the candidates. Again, the the only companies that we tout publicly are those who win our awards. So everybody else just participates. Nobody knows. Because the whole point is to get the benchmark data for them to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are based on the feedback from their candidates. And most of whom in our research are those candidates who do not get hired. Because we all know, Mike, just as you know, and I'm sure everybody watching this and listening to it, there's a whole bunch more folks that apply for our jobs that will never get hired. And that number over time can impact positively and negatively on our business and our brands because of the experience they had. However short, long or as as far as they got. So that's what we help companies understand. And that's what the benchmark research is all about. Kevin, I remember sitting in an office of a vice president of executive search that was on the corporate side. This is probably 15 years ago. And I was newer to the executive search space. And his comment was, Mike, we have over 300,000 applicants a year, and we hire about 1,500 to 2,500 people And they are in, a part of their business is a retail sector. And his comment was, my role is to ensure our business grows, not just in people, but in customers. And I was like, you know, tell me more about that, Sean. And he was like, every single applicant is going to either be a deterrent 
a brand detractor mm-hmm. or how can we on the talent side make them a brand ambassador? Absolutely. And, um, and that's really what you're talking about, right? So many of us don't put enough time, energy, and effort behind how do we make people feel? What does that process look like? I see, can you walk through like some of the metrics that your audit provides? Sure. We're going to give a link to to help all of you listening kind of go down this path and see if Talent Board can be a solution for you. No, I appreciate that. And we're it, it's very, very easy process to participate in and everything, which I know that you'll share the link, but the talentboard.org is our site. We are an educational nonprofit, so for everybody, just so you understand that, and we're in, in the business of, again, helping everybody, companies understand and TA and HR professionals understand what that impact is. So there's a lot of information that we get from employers as well as candidates, but there's some key ratings that we ask for every year. Those become then the averages that we see in each region that we do this. And it's not just in North America. We do it in EMEA and APAC and now Latin America, which is the newest part of our program. There's four key metrics that we ask. There's more ratings than that. And they're four and five point scales, which are also easily converted to net promoter, which is kind of what you were referring to when you were talking about that meeting that you had. And long story short, so it's the overall rating from the candidates. Just tell us overall how you feel about that, your experience. Good, bad, in the middle. Then we ask, how likely are you to apply again after this experience? How likely are you to refer others, which is really the key universal here. Because if you're a B2B or a B2C, it's referrals we depend on all the time. And so that's a really critical one. And then the last question of the key four is, based on your experience, what kind of a relationship are you going to have with us going forward? And the answers in that question literally are, I had a great experience overall. I'm willing to increase my relationship, whatever that means to me, the candidate. And again, I'll apply again in the future. I'll refer others. And I'll buy stuff if you're a consumer-based business and or influence those purchases with my friends and family and have brand affinity. All those things that I might be willing to do. And keep in mind that the majority of our data every year is predominantly 90%-ish don't get hired. Only a small portion of our data are those who actually did get hired. Candidates are willing to refer, even if they don't get hired. I mean, we see this every year and there are companies who actually take advantage of this, but a lot don't ever think about that as a referral pool. But if they feel like, and this is, we're talking about people who make it farther on down the line too, in, in the process, not if I just apply and, but finalists are willing to refer, even if they don't get hired, if they perceive everything was fair and they have a positive sentiment. So those four key ratings, again, are what we are base our benchmarks on every year. So the averages of those four Any company that's above that are the ones who win our candy award because we're recognizing above the bar, right? Above the average. And we do that in each region. And then we, you know, they learn a lot from the data. We we go over it with them. They get access to their data on an ongoing basis. It's very valuable. And again, whether they win a candy award or not, it's about the benchmark data for them to hopefully not only find out what they need to fix, but what's working too. That's right. But I want to come back to one thing. So you reference yeah. those who make it in, you know, kind of far through the process. Do you also benchmark those that just apply? We benchmark, it's all of the above. So here's the, the here's the, let me answer it this way. But the candidate survey we use and the questions we ask has logic built into it. So the first 10 questions, every single candidate, regardless of how far they got, they answer those questions. 
Then after that, it's dependent on how far they got. So if the journey we know for most candidates is I research, I apply, and that's the end of the road, then the, the survey is very short for them. They answer the first 10, they answer a few questions, and then they end, and that's it. Those who make it all the way to getting offers and being onboarded, they're the ones who will answer the most questions because, again, they got hired. But it just depends on what happens. And then, you know, if, if I withdrew myself for consideration, we ask some questions about that. So it branches depending on what happened. The logic. Yeah, love that. So share with us a little bit. I know at the Talent Magnet Institute, we talk all about ambassadors. And it's right. you know, how do you create ambassadors for your organization? You be yeah. an ambassador for your people and the people your brand interacts with, right? So leaders go first. Those who want to take a proactive approach lead that way each and every day, which are the organizations that are willing to have you come in and help audit process and give them benchmarks. They care enough or they've had enough pain that they really want to start understanding what's going on throughout their applicant process. Share a little bit. Do you have any specific data, Kevin, that you think that these are some of the tipping points that we hear that people experience? Here's some of the impact of having a positive application and candidate experience. We talk about the business impact and a lot in our data and our research. It's not about happy candidates, whether you actually care about that or not. And we've come across many leaders who it's just not a priority for them, right? We hire who we hire and everybody else be damned. But the issue, though, is that they're only going to be happy if they, unless they get hired. That's the only time that I would use the word happy or joyful is that right? If I get hired, otherwise, do I feel positive about the experience? Do I feel you were fair? Do I feel that you were telling me what was going to happen next and you did it when you said you were going to do it? And then if I made it to a point where I could, and maybe you gave me some feedback as to why you're not going to pursue me any further. That's a huge win, by the way. And we see this. So specifically to give you some idea, when candidates ask for feedback or are given feedback, positive sentiment goes up. And it can go up you know, anywhere from 10, 15, 20, 25%, depending on the company. But overall, though, we know that when specific feedback is given to a candidate, at the, a finalist at the point of disposition, i.e. rejection, then it's at least 20% higher positive ratings that we see in the data. It's not the only thing driving that because we can't control for a lot of this in recruiting, right? Because there's so many variables. But we know if you're doing this, you're also doing these things over here, right? And those things are what then drive that perception of fairness. That's what's, and it's, yes, it's very subjective, but we know that communication, feedback loops, expectation setting always end up having a higher positive sentiment, even for companies that, and not every company can do this right all the time because we see it, even the highest rated candy winners year after year can sometimes just, their ratings can fall off the face of the earth the next year. Because I think it's important to mention, Mike, there's stuff that's impacting your businesses all the time. Who plans for a pandemic? Who planned for the mortgage crisis? There are things that are going to impact and that causes economic fluctuations and it may impact, you know, some industries fared better than others the past year. And then there's M&A activity. There's changes on your leadership team. There's changes on your recruiting team. There is new products and services that you're launching. One day you're surge hiring, the next day you're freezing and furloughing. So there's a constant barrage of things that impact the business. And 
one of the things that we, one of the hardest things that we've seen for companies, and I think this bleeds over into employee experience too, by the way, they're very much go hand in hand. Sustaining a positive experience over time is not easy for companies to do. Even those who have won year after year. So to give you some perspective, we've worked with over a thousand companies in the past 10 years, over a million candidate responses. Out of that number of companies, about a third have won at least one candy award. That's great because we're trying to, again, highlight those who are just above the bar and higher. Over the years, though, only five companies have won eight out of the past 10 years. Only five that have consistently participated. And again, the sustaining is not easy. And, and this is large, complex organizations, even smaller, mid-sized organizations. So those are some of the things that we see. And we're trying to really emphasize... We also, we have on our site, this is a quick aside, we have a business, a resentment calculator is what we call it, meaning that you can plug in some numbers, how many hires you make each year, applicants per hire, the ratio, and then what the value of a customer is. Even if you're not a consumer business, you can pretend and plug those numbers in and then see based on our annual global resentment rate, which did drop, by the way, which we may or may not get a chance to talk about this year, which is a good thing. COVID was an interesting impact in our data that we've never never seen before. But anyway, long story short, then you could see what that potential loss is. But we do know that there are companies that we've worked with, especially consumer companies, that have turned rejected candidates into revenue streams when the, it's a positive experience and the perception of fairness is high. And Kimberly Clark is one great example I always use because a few years ago, they made, not only did they make some improvements in their hiring practice, they started giving coupons to rejected customers and that generated millions in revenue. And I think that someone came with an out-of-box idea, right? They recognized. Because when we bring that up, and I remember talking this years ago when we started first doing workshops, when I first started running the candies, companies are, you know, you think about it, the reaction was, I think that rejected candidates are going to take that offense to that. But that is not the case. And Hilton has done it with finalists on the professional level. And, and the list goes on. The companies have done it and they have found that again, but when the positive sentiment is there and the perception of fairness is there, they're going to be engaged with you still going forward, even if they never work. Fascinating. And again, I to those listening, I think part of the thought process is, are you evaluating your talent pools, your candidate pools at all? That's the next thing, Mike, because there are those, there are companies who say, oh, well, we, we survey our new hires. Then that's great. I, I don't want to take anything away from anybody who's willing to do that because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You may have anecdotal feedback from candidates and new hires that tell that their hiring managers or the recruiters, you know, that really sucked or this was really great. And you may be doing that. And the comfort level is always to ask new hires first for feedback anyway. You know, there's a halo effect associated with that, right? Because I got hired. So I'm probably going to rate you higher than I would have otherwise. That's okay, though. That's some data. It's the companies that just don't want to, you know, for whatever reason, I'm worried, you know, compliance issues, regulatory issues, maybe I, I don't want to ask my candidates for feedback. If it's anonymous feedback, you can do it the right way. And whether you go through our program or not, there are some great tips. You know, I'm always happy to share on the side for companies willing to ask, but you've also got to be willing to do something about the data that you capture. Absolutely. So just from perspective for our listeners, you know, I've spent the last 21 years in executive search and we're a boutique search firm. So 50 searches 
for this boutique firm is a really good year. And we have tens of thousands of applicants that get referred, that come into our talent pools, that meet our brand and join the, you know, the database and the introduction pool. So, you know, just if you're as your organization, that team only, there's 16 people, right? So think about those that have thousands and tens of thousands of employees or your company, if you're listening, that has 50 to 250 employees, the amount of applicants. And Kevin, so many organizations blame lack of talent pools as a problem. And so many, in our view, need to start with themselves and take some self-reflection. So we take candidate experience very seriously because, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of our candidates become our future clients because of how you made them feel, how you treated them, how you respected them in the process. And the reality is it's never easy to tell that majority pool that you're not the right fit at this time. And sometimes you get pushback. Even though people say they want feedback, sometimes they, you know, they're going to debate the feedback. But to your point, just giving some level of feedback is better than, you know, as they say, crickets. Well, it is. And that's always what's fascinating is that that for any company of any hiring volume, it's one thing that if, if you're a shop of really small, of 50 or fewer employees, right? You're more than likely as a bit, you're probably A, not going to have a recruiter on staff. You, The business owner could probably re- still respond to anybody who applies for a job. And there can be a more personable you know, interaction. But as you start growing... And then you get into hundreds of employees and you're growing, you know, maybe you're making 50 to 100 to 200 hires a year and you're really starting to to scale. You have to have automation. It's just there's no other way around it. You have an ATS at a minimum for the, the recruiting and hiring process. And you control the messaging and the timeliness, though, still of what goes out from that that machine, right, from that platform. And even yes, again, like we talked about earlier, the majority of applicants at any given time are not going to be qualified and they're going to be responded to hopefully immediately. One of the things, a tip that I we give companies that, we've, that we talk to is there are companies out there that hold on to all the applicants until they actually fill the requisition, the job, and then they reject everybody. But that could be weeks, yeah. right? And there's no other response except that initial autoresponder that maybe went out that said, thank you very much for your interest. We'll be in touch, right? And we hear it from the candidates. They're never in touch. There's not anything. And if it's weeks later, my argument is that for the majority of folks that aren't qualified out of the gate, reject them. One mantra I'm hearing from more companies within three to five days or at least one to two weeks maximum. Just do it. You're not going to follow up on them. You're not going to pursue them. They're not qualified for that job. Tell them, let them go. You know what I mean? So that's that's an argument that we try to make with companies because the, the, that's the hardest part. That's the less, the least glamorous part about recruiting, right, Mike, is the application process. Right. And the one where it's the most pain for a lot of people who are just never going to get hired. So, but there are things you can do. Yeah, and it's the majority volume. So you can't take away the amount of people coming through the experience. So Kevin, you and I were sharing stage when Jody Brandstetter was hosting the Talent Acquisition Evolution in Cincinnati, Ohio. At that time, pre-pandemic, I'm sure there was candidate data and feedback and 
how have you seen the trends shift since that time back in 2018 to now we're in almost April 2021 when we're recording this episode? Right. So this was fascinating for us from a research perspective. It's, you know, I'm sure you and I both agree that it's our hearts go out to the millions who are still out of work right now and are looking for work. But I know that pre-COVID, when it was nothing but a growth market for almost for 10 years and lowest unemployment in decades, especially in the States, but if not globally, on some level, candidate resentment, as we call it, meaning candidates who tell us in, in the data they will never do anything with that employer again because they feel that they were treated poorly, bad experience, blah, blah, blah. The resentment rate was actually going up pre-COVID, and especially in North America. North America, sometimes I joke about this, but it's not a joke, it is true. We're the most vocal, angry candidates in the world, Mm. in North America, especially the US. North America does include, by the way, Canada and, well, in Mexico, as we've defined it to date, but Americans were the most, the angriest candidates. But I say that in all seriousness because resentment was growing, but it was growing globally. And then it plummeted this last year. And we've only just begun the research for 2021. So we don't have any even early takeaways yet. We won't have those until probably this summer because the program now is open. And by the way, quick plug, companies still have plenty of time to participate between now and August. There's no deadline to start, just a deadline to finish. And that finish deadline is end of August. Anyway, so we're still early days for this year's program. But last year, the resentment rate plummeted and the great experience, the very positive end of that, of that same realm went way up too. And what we know, we weren't expecting that, right? Because the whole world was disrupted. But what we found is that companies were put into this forced level of transparency like they had never seen before, at least any time, any, any recent memory. Yeah. And they had to do two things. How do we tell our, any of our candidates, regardless of our size and type of jobs, that we don't know what's happening? We can't hire, we can't interview you yet. Now we have to do it virtually. We have to figure that out. We can't hire you. We can't start you even though you were hired Mm. because we don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, not everybody can go remote, right? There's a whole bunch of businesses that have in-person stores, plants, the list goes on that have had to figure out a whole nother thing. We talk a lot sometimes, I think, in fluffy areas about, oh, I'm a professional and I can work remote. That's not... the the reality for a lot of folks. So, but anyway, my point is, is that companies had to continuously communicate to their candidates more than they were even comfortable doing before and their employees. What do we teach? What do we tell our employees? We may have to furlough. We may have to lay off. I don't know what to do. We're trying to figure out how to keep the business moving forward. Right. And so the candidates were also, I think, more forgiving this last year. It wasn't a candidate market anymore, like it was pre-COVID, but it also wasn't the same kind of strange recovery that we're seeing now, like from the Great Recession, because there were still industries that fared better than others. So it was a, it's been an interesting mix, but that's what we saw. And some more empath- empathetic communication and candidates being more forgiving. Kevin, do you think, as I even think through our own experience, how quickly searches were brought to a halt in March? With most organizations, and I think every single project we had at that time came back online and have since, you know, fortunately, many months ago been fulfilled. But those searches were going to restart, right? So you had an interesting dynamic that we need to put things on hold indefinitely. But eventually, if this wind, this turns back around, and some it happens sooner, 
Some are just getting around to it now. So it's like we had to keep those talent pools warm. Yes. Because, you know, there could very well be the right leader, right candidate in that pool. And people were being, as you mentioned, much more intentional, knowing that I've got to turn that back on versus you ain't using it or viewing it as something that's just kind of will flush out the rest. We're just looking for the one. What I hope doesn't happen, Mike, is that we go backwards again. Because there, you know, of, of organizations that then just go back to status quo of bad response rates and bad automated messaging and candidates falling into that proverbial black hole again and never hearing back. And I, I just hope that we that for those that, and not just for that reason, right? I mean, there was, as we all know, it wasn't just COVID and economic fluctuation. There was a lot of social unrest this past year. And I think that has been very top of mind for organizations. And I think, you know, this put a new focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think that there's, I just hope that this momentum continues to benefit not for employers as well as the candidates and their own employees, part-time, full-time contract, whatever that is, going forward, keeping the empathetic communication open and transparent and going. We're in the business of no in recruiting and hiring, even in executive search. I mean, there's a lot of people that are just not, we're not going to bring on. And for our organizations, at least, even if you and even if you ping them as a future fit and you're going to keep them warm over time. And I just had a conversation with two different companies, one that continually hired throughout the past year and one that did not and had to furlough most of their recruiting team. And now they're starting to bring some of those individuals back because we also forget there's a lot of HR and recruiting folks that lost their jobs, too. Right. But they're now they're starting to come back. So everybody was a little bit in different places. I just hope we continue the empathetic communication. Yeah, and I would, Kevin, do you think some of this is everybody was emotionally affected by COVID? Of course, on some level, yeah. So, so we were putting more empathy and care into yeah. our communication. So, you know, humanity, all of you that are listening to this, ask about your process. How did we change our internal communications process to external talent pools during the last year? And how do we, you know, if we didn't, maybe we should evaluate it. If we did, what can we keep going, right? right. And how do we score? We're going to go for the Kennedy Awards and see how we do on the talent board audit. And right. you know, these are all services that help you and your brand and your yeah. team get stronger. Exactly. Kevin, are there certain a few tips of where individuals should start? You know, again, I mentioned earlier, it's either A, you have a component of there's so much pain that we've gotten so much negative feedback that we've got to do something. Or B, we have a proactive TA group, people and culture group, or leadership team that really wants to evaluate this. So when they come to you, what are some of the immediate recommendations or thoughts and perspectives that you can leave our listeners with? One of the things that we find every year is that it, with the exception of if you're in the midst of maybe implementing a new ATS or CRM or some other HR core system, there's a lot of change management around that. But most of the time, when it comes to incremental improvements that we find in our data and research, they relate to communication and feedback, expectation setting. These are all things that do have, the TA and HR teams do have control over. I had another conversation with a, a head of global TA recently who was asking, well, what about the number of recs and jobs that each of our Recruiters carry, you know, if it's, if it's, that can impact how much time I spend 
And I agreed. I'm like, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yes, it does. But still doesn't mean that you forego consistent communication, whether that's in the email templates, your quick phone calls, whatever that is. So the tip is that there are incremental improvements in and how you're communicating and don't try to, to fix everything at once. This is why it's important to get some data, whether you participate in our benchmark research or not, get some feedback from your own candidates. Maybe like you would also, if you haven't done it with even from your own employees mm-hmm. and ask them about their experience and how they were communicated with and how they felt about the process at the end of the day when they were told that, you know, did, do they remember being rejected? And was that... Well, our question, all the questions that we ask the candidates are on our website. Companies can go download them. We're a, we're a total open book. We want you to participate, of course, but you can leverage our questions. They're all there to, to read and download. But you've got to get some data first. You can't fix what you can't measure, whatever that old expression is, which is true in business. So get an understanding of where the strengths and weaknesses are. There's so many easy little things you can fix in your application process. If you do anything this year at all, and you've never done what I'm about to say ever before, apply for your own jobs. Literally apply for your own jobs and go through as far of the process that you can, all the way to taking an assessment if you offer those, and make notes about, we are making candidates do this. We are making candidates enter the same information five times. I'm exaggerating, but you get what I'm saying. And you can get some quick fixes there, quick fixes, because that's, again, the least glamorous part of recruiting and hiring is the application process. But you can do some fixes. And what's the message say that you get? The autoresponder. Did you ever change it from the point of implementing the system? (laughs) You control these things. So that's what I recommend that you do. If not anything else, apply for your own jobs. Kevin, with what you just referenced, there's an opportunity just like we do, like just like we do with our own clients, right? Our customers, right? We do. We put so much time into the research and the thoughtfulness of how we implement with quality and how we communicate and how we open up lines of communication. We need to do that with our own employees. And as you, as you referenced, and also with those that aren't our employees who are going to experience our brand in some way and your brand matters and all of the hundreds or thousands of people who are interacting with your brand, this is kind of the, the voice of the silent to a degree, right? But they're all walking away with an impression. They're all telling others about their experiences. And you need that feedback. So if you're not collecting data in this space and you're not collecting actionable data that you can respond to, most importantly, which is what Talent Board helps you do, this is a quick win. This is an easy win to reach out to Talent Board to participate in the yeah. work you're doing. And if you're listening to this episode past August, which we know people continue to, to listen, sure. jump on the next year, right? That's the beauty about it. It's always start, It starts again right at the beginning of next year. And we've got other events too, like our Candy Awards for this year, which mostly will probably still be virtual, but who knows what happens by the time we get there. Could be some in-person stuff too. You know, that's a jump on one of our events at the end of the year to get a, get a taste of what we've learned, what we're sharing, what the companies that are participating, what they're saying. And then, you know, then you can jump on 2022. Yeah. And I know that we have, there's brands that we know that have been awarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have one client, Valvoline, who takes this very seriously. Right. It's a very important component to who they are and how their talent acquisition team works. 
Also, I've seen on your list, Kevin, Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of Procter leaders on our board, in our cap table, and actively on our team as faculty. You know, these are companies who, yes, that's a large organization, but follow what some of these large companies are doing in terms of best practices. I mean, we're a boutique search firm and take this very seriously. Right. Well, and and by the way, in a lot of our research reports, articles, we're always sharing proven practices. And there's always a set of uh, a short set of case studies in the back of our research reports from companies who have won candies talking about what they're doing. And you'd be amazed. You'll read some through some things and say, hey, our organization's doing that, too. And that's great. That's what you want. You know what I mean? And so you'll learn you can learn a lot just by even scanning our, our, our research. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, and most importantly, for all that you and your team do. You are making companies better. You are making humanity better by ensuring organizations care about those that interact with their brands. So thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It I really enjoyed the conversation with you. So thanks. And everyone, we look forward to our next discussion. Please check out the show notes. Please look up Talent Board and go to thetalentboard.org. Follow the candies on social media. And we look forward to making this connection and helping you elevate your employee and candidate experiences. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.